0: The Small Business Show at businessshow.co, episode number 58 for Wednesday, March 16th, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks. Welcome to the small business show at business the show where we talk about two and four small business owners and things that are interest to all of us here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton
1: and in Lafayette, California. I'm Shannon Jean. How are you, sir? I'm doing
0: well. It sounds like you're having a little technical issue over there with your microphone, Shannon.
1: I am. Uh, my mic decided to die a few minutes ago, so uh, I'm going to be on mute, I think, from a lot of this show, but I'm going to chime in when I just can't resist anymore.
0: Sounds like a plan. Uh, yeah. Good good news today. We have, uh, we have someone else joining us, so you don't have to just listen to me speak for the whole show. Welcoming uh, from Six Colors and many things in
2: addition to prior and after that, Jason Snell. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Hi, Dave. Hi, Shannon. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun and topics that I don't normally talk about on podcasts, which is also a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, right. Well, that's kind of why uh, that's why we do this is is giving people who uh, who like us are are in the situation of running our own shows, uh, running our own businesses, uh, mm-hmm. what, you know, the, the opportunity to talk about that, which uh, we do. So let, let's let's do that. You Um, But let's 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 give people a little bit of context of of who you are, just in case they don't know. You had a uh, long tenure at at IDG, uh, most specifically with with Macworld or or Macworld for the the longest part of it. Uh, But but before that or during tell us a little bit about about you.
2: Uh, So my uh, first real full time job out of school was a uh, was as an editor at Mac user magazine in the mid 90s. and I kid you not, the first week on the job, I heard a copy editor across the cubicle wall from me say, do you think they're going to shut down the magazine? So literally my media, entire media career, uh, and this is like this, if you are a media professional in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, has been one, you know, step away from the, the, the graveyard. <laughs> uh, but I, in uh, 1997, I, uh, they did shut down Mac user because they merged uh, all the Apple stuff, right? When Apple looked like it was going to go out of business. Uh, they regretted that decision almost immediately, but it was too late. Uh, and then there was just Macworld. And I was one of the, the people, some chunk of the staffs of both magazines got kind of shoved together and told to make a new magazine uh, that would be Macworld. And that was, I was in on that. So, uh, and then I was at Macworld for like 17, 18 years after that, the last few more at the IDG consumer division, supervising the editorial for Macworld and PC World, and a couple other sites that we launched as well, so, uh, you know, I started as a an intern and ended up as the group editorial director. And then in uh, 2014, I left IDG after many, many layoffs um, I was very fortunate to have a good relationship with the, the senior management there. And they were well aware that I was, um, they talked me into staying through a layoff. And I said, okay, I'll stay through this one, but I, I'm not going to stay through more. Sure. And then there was another big layoff coming and they're like, you can go. And, yeah. and that was, <laughs> no. I was like, thank you very much. Yeah, that was nice of <laughs> and, them. Because yeah. I, I had uh, already made my my feelings pretty clear at that point that I was not particularly happy with the way things were going. And sure. I wanted to, to get out of there. And so I did. Well there and and here you are that's right yeah it's, but so was was
0: being a writer slash content creator always the driving force i know i ask this because i know that you in addition to being a great writer you are also a geek i mean you understand the stuff that you write about Much better than than frankly most people do. So
2: I I mean I'm not at the I'm not a I'm not a developer. I mean I I have so many friends who are developers now, and that I feel like I am a complete uh, just a fraud compared to them. But it is true that I was always the the computer nerd. I was you know in the computer club in fifth grade, and um, I was you know I ran a computer bulletin board when I was in high school. Uh, I was one of the first people to sign up for a Unix account when I got to when I got to college. And yet what I would say is I always mix that with creating stuff and doing doing media stuff. So when I was a senior in college, I was the editor-in-chief of my college newspaper, but I was also the person who strung all of the networking cable through the office so that we could network all of the Macs together so we didn't have to copy all of our layouts onto floppies and bring them to the computer that was attached to the printer. You could, <gasps> gasp, print from anywhere in the office. Um, so I was always doing both of those things, the technical side. I did a I did a fiction, a short a short story magazine when I was in college that rather than get money from the college a sort of student government to uh, print 100 copies and make them available on campus for nobody to read. Instead, I just... Uh, made the magazine myself and I put it on uh, FTP and on Usenet. And it was there was a text version and a postscript version that you could dump to a postscript printer. And this was like 91, 92. So, again, trying to mix the super nerdy kind of computer side of me with the words and creativity, uh, you know, writing kind of side of me. Sure. It, it, yeah. OK, so this is really interesting because I've experienced this, too. Um,
0: and, and, it, and it's it's actually good, maybe a little bit of therapy to talk about this. It, you, you, it, you, you described it perfectly. You were this Uber geek that could understand anything. You, you, you could make it all work. You were the guy, right? And and few people that you encountered knew more than you. Probably few encountered knew as much as you. And yet today, you feel like a fraud because yeah, well, because,
2: because well, at times, I did not, right? I did not run. Well, th- that's the thing is I didn't run in the computer nerd circles. I, I you know, the the in high school I didn't run in there was there were the people who hung out in the computer lab Got and, it. and I wasn't one of those people I uh, we made movies and TV shows and stuff like that I, I was a video uh, I guess we didn't have an AV club but it, it, it. was the equivalent of that right the, the nerdy uh, AV club type person we you know I, I hung around with people who dreamed of being writers and cartoonists and movie directors and I worked on the school newspaper and I worked we had a radio station I had my own show on the high school radio station so that was my Crowd, and so I was always the most technically adept person in my not technically adept crowd. Got it. Um, And and so so on one level, yes, on one level, I was I was probably the most technically savvy person in the room. But the room was not packed with technically savvy people. Geeks. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because I, I I experienced the same thing, and I did hang out with the geeks, and I was in the computer club. And yet there are there are many moments now where it's not just that I'm not the smartest person in the room that that happens all the time. And that's actually a good thing. But Mm -hmm. it's when you suddenly realize, wow, you know, all that stuff that I know, everybody knows now.
2: But not really, you know. Well, well, some of that is generational. It is. Um, I'm I'm teaching a class at the local library to a bunch of high school students about how to do podcasting. And, you know, in early 2000s, I taught a web publishing class at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism to a whole bunch of people who were in their 20s and had no idea, like, how to use the menus of of Dreamweaver. Or how to type, you know, not just type HTML, but like how to use a computer. And this podcast class I'm teaching with these high school students, I was intending to have to walk them through like how to use a multi-track audio editor. And, you know, I had to give them an overview, but they got it. Immediately, and some of them already knew how to use GarageBand inside and out, and it was just not a problem for them yeah. and that, that took my breath away because I thought you know the stuff that I that you had to specialize in when I was younger, where you had to be like i'm going to be a computer person and i'm going to learn how to do all this computery stuff that's just a given for. Everybody below a certain age it in is. our society, and and when you have that moment of like, oh wow, these are no longer like my skills; they are just the world. Yeah, thank <laughs> and, go- and thank goodness we have them, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so oh, well. Yeah, that's the big benefit is that is that there are all, there are a lot of people my age and your age who don't who weren't the computer people, and so they don't have those skills, that's right. and they look at the the rest of the sort of a younger population are like, oh my god, how can they do this? I I'm I'm left out, and at least when it comes to that stuff. Um, we are, we are current in that way.
0: Yeah. We just the trick is staying current, right? You yeah. Know? Or hiring people that, that can stay current for mm-hmm. us. Right. Sure. So it, let, let's, let's, um, let's shift this because we do, we did bring you here not to, uh, just, uh, reminisce They're about, out. yeah, all of this. <laughs> although that's fun. Uh, so, but now that once you left Macworld, you started six and, and are now in the business of of publishing a website yeah. all on your own. Is this your first business or have you had others before it?
2: Yeah, we started the, the corporation about a year and a half before I left IDG because my podcasts are also a part of it. And that was also sort of the honestly, it's the it's the positioning of I'm going to need to go out on my own yeah. and. So let's get it running now and see how that goes. But it is the Incomparable Incorporated, which is the name of the, the business. It, it is my first business. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you,
0: you hadn't run things on the side before or anything like that, where you had to manage cash flow in any significant way for a, a business entity.
2: Right. Most of my side projects before were essentially free. And right. uh, there was no money involved. And so it was, it, the, there was the whole level of like taxes and registering and things like that, that was just not that big a deal. Um, but this was the first one where, you know, we had to say, what kind of corporation are we gonna be? There is real money coming in. The first lawyer and accountant I had, um, were assuming that this was sort of like a, a silly side project that would not have any money and would lose money uh, and, and made some decisions that we had to reverse when they realized, oh, you're serious about this. There's real money coming in you're making a profit and <laughs> I'll be like, yes, yeah, that was that the goal." Was I told you. That yeah. was what I told you up front, but they're like, nah, it's just a hobby kind of, no, it's not, it's not that. So, you know, I had to, I had to learn all that stuff and make those decisions. And it really was the first time my, my, my dad was an orthodontist. And so he had his own business and I, I got to watch the, you know, the small business to employee kind of thing, uh, growing up. Um, so it wasn't totally foreign to me as a concept, but for my professional life, you know, I, I worked for a few, you know, basically a few different corporations, but they, they, continuously, but it was all, I was always just a, an employee and I didn't have any sort of side businesses going on.
0: So, so we like to offer advice to people. Was there anything specific there that you said there were a couple of mistakes made at the beginning, uh, at least looking back, you, you know, what, any, any examples that might be helpful to, to other listeners here?
2: Well, I think, I think being clear with the people that you work with, uh, especially things like accountants and tax advisors and attorneys, when you're setting up your corporation, being as crystal clear as you can about what your intent is for the business, not just sort of what you're, you know, we can talk about hopes and you could try to downplay your hopes, but for intent, I feel like you got to be clear. Cause that's a lesson I learned is that my lawyer thought that I was one, uh, of like her husband's, i I'm, her, her husband is a friend of mine from college and I don't know any lawyers. So I, I, I thought okay I'll, I'll I'll ask her to set up the the corporation and she assumed that I was um, doing one of these kind of hobby corporations yeah. and even though I Never said that, and in fact, I thought I had made it clear that this wasn't that. I think it was very easy for her to kind of fall back on, you know, it's another one of of these. And as a result, like you know, wrong choice about between uh, an S corp and a C corp. The the uh, the uh, the um, accountant I talked to just assumed that it was as a new small business, it would start out as a with with low revenue and uh, losses, yeah. and over time it would end up becoming profitable, and you could guide it as you went. And I said, no, I'm selling advertising on my podcast. It's already got, you know, 20, 25,000 listeners. I'm going to be bringing in money. The expenses are incredibly low. It will be profitable from day one because almost every dollar that comes in is profit. And he just didn't get it. And then he saw the numbers and he went, oh, right. And it was like he was surprised, even though I felt like I had been clear. So clarity of like what your intent is and where your business is and how you think it's going to work. That was my number one lesson was just. You know, people are going to put on you their expectations of you unless you make it really clear that that's not what you're planning. Yeah.
0: No, that, that it, it totally makes sense. You can't really blame them for it other than the fact that they weren't listening to what you were saying. They were just adding their interpretations and, and going from there. Right,
2: I understand why they did it that way. Right. But it was one of those frustrations of like, no, no, no. Seriously, I, I'm not a deluded person who is coming to you saying, oh, I'm going to make I'm going to be rich, rich, rich. I'm yeah. going to have my own business. I'm somebody who actually, you know, this is what is already happening and this is why I need to do this.
0: Well, so. that's a smart thing to do is, it, I mean, you, you get things rolling a little bit and then and then kind of form the business around it. Uh, that I mean yes, there's two schools of thought on that, but I, both Shannon and I have always felt like you just roll forward and then okay, let's put some structure around this because you know otherwise people are going to start yelling at us about you know taxes and right. things like that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so are you, are you a C corp or an S corp?
2: So we are an S corp. Okay. Now. Oh, uh, we're originally a C corp and, and, and basically had to unwind that and rewind it. And we incorporated in the wrong state. Again, there there were just some mistakes made at the beginning where it's like, no, 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 This is not a loss leader, no employee kind of deal. This is, we want to get paid. We're going to make money, you know, let's register it. So now we are a California S corp. And, uh, and then do the, do the game at the end for two years. Now we've, we've been doing this now where you play the game at the end of the year where you, uh, we're, we're trying to hit the minimum profit possible of course of course um, yes. and uh, try to break even as much as we can we failed both years but been pretty close my wife does uh, a pretty good job with that she's my uh, she's my CFO essentially because she's yep. got a she's got a business degree and she is a librarian but she doesn't work full time at the library and so she is also my uh my accountant, you know, or my accounting head, essentially, and so she's done a great job at tracking finances and having us try to hit that minimal profit from the corporation. And so, you know,
0: so obviously, yeah. and, and I just want people to understand, you're not doing anything wrong by by hitting this minimum profit. You, I, I'm assuming you're just shifting where expenses fall compared to income and that sort of thing as your fiscal year ends. Is that right?
2: Exactly. You know, the way the way we've been doing it is um, all the profit. Profits roll to us because we're an S corp, all the profits roll to us to pay the taxes anyway. So if the business makes $3,000 or $10,000, we pay taxes on that profit. And then the business keeps that money. Um, And the problem with that is then if we pay ourselves out of that money uh, by, you know, from the business later, we pay taxes on that as our income from the business which is dumb. So our goal is to pay ourselves and withhold taxes actually. Yep. And, uh, and the whole thing so that the business doesn't have a whole lot of money that it's sitting on that instead the, the, the payments flow to us, we pay taxes on them and the business is, is, uh, you know, does not have a whole lot of money in the bank. Yeah. And you're avoiding double taxation and, and exactly all that. that's. That's the bottom line is that, you know, the more the more that stays in the business, uh, the more double taxation it is. And that's silly. So you try to avoid it.
0: See, that's interesting. I um So uh, I have several. Backbeat Media is an LLC. The business that Shannon and I have together is an LLC. But Mac Observer, I was in the same boat as you and never undid it. So that is a C corp. Mm. Uh and there are there are minimal benefits for a C Corp of our size. You know, it, it, this we started Mac Observer at the you know the in the dot-com boom. So people are like, oh you're gonna go public, you need a C Corp. Right. right. You know, it's like, oh sure, okay. Um obviously that didn't happen. So uh but but there are some minimal tax benefits that I get having it as a C Corp even at the size that we operate under but um but i always thought that that double taxation was was unique to the c corp and and you wouldn't really deal with it as much with an s corp but uh but obviously i, I was wrong on that cuz i don't have any s corps so yeah
2: yeah that's the, i mean that's that's basically the the trick is is uh, my understanding i am not yeah. a, a professional uh, a, a tax expert but my understanding is that it's the same thing as if if we end up with $10,000 profit to the corporation at the end of the year the we pay taxes on the profit the corporation still has that money in the bank and yep. then if the corporation wants to pay us salary later we get taxed on it because we are being paid salary and that is uh, that is a double tax penalty. So Absolutely. you know. Yeah. So we try to, you know, and in the end, somebody is paying us a bill on December thirty first, right. and that's our profit for the year. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just, you just sort of say, all right, it's fine. It's nice to have a little bit of money in the bank yes. at any given time, but it's weird. I mean, this is not something I've ever I've ever done before, and I'm very happy to have my wife's help because she's got the, you know, we're on payroll. Uh, I get paid by the corporation. She gets paid by the corporation. You know, we. We hold taxes. We went through we paid double taxes actually in 2015 because we had we got hit with huge estimated tax for um, because of how much came in the previous year where we weren't paying any estimated tax. And we really wanted to get out from under a huge estimated tax payment. So we spent a year sort of paying the estimated tax and withholding which was painful, but our estimate, our estimated tax that we have to pay for 2016 is tiny. It's much lower and, now that you're, and we'll get a huge tax refund and then we'll be kind of on schedule with, cause I, w- I kind of wanted to feel like I'm an employee at a business. It's just my business. Yes.
0: Yeah. No, I, I get that. It, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I did the same thing eventually, but it took me a whole lot longer because I was always used to just being in business for myself. So taking distributions instead of a paycheck was didn't bother me sure. because it was no different – it, it had never been any other way. I mean, it was, but, you know, I didn't really it didn't matter. But, of course, coming from, you know, 20, almost 20 years of, of getting a paycheck, I I can understand how your life, especially having kids and all that, you know, your life is organized
2: in a certain way. It's like, uh, can we, you know, sort of codify this a little bit? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it makes it it makes it a little more understandable in the sense that if you know what your paycheck is every, you know, every two weeks. Then um, I mean, if the business is doing well, then you're going to end up bonusing yourself because sure. there's more money in there. But but the bonus is a bonus, and the paycheck is sort of what you count on. And yeah, if if there are hard times, then you have to cut down what you pay yourself. Of because, course. But but ideally, you've got this kind of base level where you know that money is flowing to me regularly, and I can plan my life around that. And then these you know these bonuses will happen. And if you keep the if you keep the money in the bank for a while, then you can. And uh, ride out the some of the fluctuations kind of get washed out of the system, too, because if you have a low month and then a high month and then another low month, if they all are within you know what you've got in the bank then you're just getting your paycheck every month and you can, you know, you, you bonus yourself at the end of the year, whatever is sort of left over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Shannon, it, you, you like to talk about the, this particular concept in fact. So, so let's, let's deal with your microphone and talk about
1: it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. Uh, you know, you've made that decision to issue yourself a paycheck, however, it, you know, big or small of be, because it, it, to me, it it really talks to the importance of paying yourself first. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of things you can do uh, to manipulate, you know, your cash flow and different things. But, uh, you know, as a small business owner, you you need to pay yourself first. And then uh, obviously whatever your business can support, um, but not paying yourself last is is not a good experience. And I, I just commend you on that. I think that's fantastic.
2: Well, I have to I mean, I admit that I am I'm very fortunate that because my my business is entirely digital, um my expenses are extremely low. I mean that that is that's the reality. Like I am paying uh, uh I'm paying Linode $100 for my server and server backup and that contains that is my entire server infrastructure for my site and my podcast network. Um I guess you know there's an extra $20 here and there for uh, for another uh, podcast CDN and I've got uh, um I'm paying some of my uh, like my cable bill because I needed faster internet to do this job, uh, so I'm paying a little bit of that and, and a portion of I think maybe a portion of my electric bill. But the overhead of this corporation is really low. Um, the biggest expenses we have are people. In that I've got some some stuff that uh, I have another writer for Six Colors who I pay, and I've got some other occasional uh, work that people do for the podcast that I that I pay. But the the that helps a lot. That there isn't a lot of outflow other than compensating people for the work they do we don't have a lot of overhead so your your fixed
0: costs are low Yeah,
2: very low. And that's really nice. I mean, that's one of the beauty you talk about the dot com boom. I mean, this was one of the promises of that back then. Totally. Is is that, you know, I don't have a printing press. I don't have a you know, I don't have to have any of that kind of stuff to do what I do. I I need to pay. In this case, I pay Linode one hundred dollars a month for a server and that's it. I am broadcasting my writing and my podcasts worldwide for one hundred bucks a month. And that's it. It's awesome. That's great. So, it, yeah. So the, the, this brings
0: up an interesting topic. You, you know, you say you have people that that you pay and obviously there's you and, and your wife, but but there are others as well. And and you did that at, at Macworld, too. Right. I, I mean, you managed sure. a team and had people that that you were in charge of deciding mm-hmm. how much they get paid. But now it's different. Right. Because you're paying them. And it's your
2: company, not
0: somebody yeah. else's budget,
2: right? Yeah, although, I don't know, in some ways it's not that different because yeah. I I had – I mean, nobody told me what to pay anybody. I had a manuscript budget, but that was it. Like pay, decide your pay scale, stay within your budget. Um, When I started, yeah, I I was, you know, here's the features budget and you have $4,000 or whatever. And then in the end it was, here's the IDG editorial budget and figure out who gets what and and then they'll figure out the details of it. But in some ways it's not that different that at the the end you have to kind of just kind of Say, what about this? How, why don't I pay you? Why don't I pay you this? Is this is this a fair uh, way to pay? I will say that um, it is a little bit different. Um, I, I don't think it's because it's my you know my business's money instead of someone else's money. The billionaire who owns the company's money is what it was at IDG. Right. I, I I always felt really responsible for that money, and um, was kind of appalled when, especially in my early days when I was at Ziff Davis, there were some people who I felt like their attitude was very much like, let's take advantage of the the, the money that's in this business to uh, spend money on things that we would never spend that money on ourselves. Um, and it, that, that always bothered me. My dad was a child of the depression. I, I, I think I was raised with um, sort of Uh, you know, he was always like, why buy a new thing when you can like stick a wire from some other thing in this thing and twist it around. He was big with cutting things off of the end of uh, wire coat hangers and using them to repair things. Huh. Because growing up in the Depression, um, that was the kind of thing you did, right? And yeah. disposability was not a thing that was acceptable. So I, I always, uh, my long way of saying, I, I always took it as a big responsibility, even though I was spending somebody else's money, that it was to to do right by that. that. That all said, I'm also aware of like, what money I have in my business and I'm not a billionaire and I don't have the ability to lose money very much um, because that's just coming out of my own pocket at that point. And so that does affect my calculation of how much am I going to pay for a story or for somebody to write for my site for a day. Sure. Because um, I don't feel like um, you know, it, it makes you a little nervous. To, to yeah. It's like, wow, you know, what am I committing to paying this person? Also, because there's the calculation of like, what if now as a business owner, I have that what if something goes wrong and it's not like a higher ups decision to cut my budget. I'm going to have to decide to cut my budget and I'd hate to be in a position where I pay somebody uh, a number that makes me feel good, but it also means that if there's the slightest hitch, I'm going to have to say, I can't pay you anymore. You yeah. have to stop working for me. I'd much rather pay them a level that is sustainable so that I'm fairly confident that I can pay, like Dan Morin, who writes for me, uh, an amount of money that I'm going to be able to pay, even if we have sponsors that come and go or or whatever, That that that, that money is still going to be there for me to pay him.
0: Well, and, and as, as I'm, I'm sure you found, and I've certainly found people whom you're paying actually appreciate that more too, because they like to know that there's going to be some stability. They're not running their own business and they don't really want to deal with that.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, stability, it's funny. Um, that comes up a lot when you talk about about this. I'm sure you guys have talked about it too. There's this there's this illusion of stability when you're inside a company because you get that paycheck and yeah. you kind of there are a lot of issues you don't have to worry about. But the fact is, they can tap you on the shoulder at any point and say, "Sorry, we're cut, oh. we're making cuts. You're out of here." It's at so will, it's, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's an illusion, but sometimes the illusion. I mean, it is comforting to not have to worry about that stuff. But I think you're right. There is there is something. To be said for um, making decisions that allow you to to create stable situations to say, you know, well, it's going to come and go. And sometimes I'm going to pay you really well. And other times I'm not going to give you work and instead say, well, I'm going to pay you a little bit less, but I'm going to be able to pay you that every month. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I always you know, I, I, I make decisions, especially when it's growing the business and adding people as opposed to replacing someone that's, you know, that that had left. Right. Um, I, I always to myself commit to a, you know, this, I can, I'm going to do this for three months or I'm going to do this for six months. And, and then it's a little bit easier to look and say, well, do I have the budget for that? Cause maybe I just have, you know, right. that pile of cash sitting in there. It's like, okay, great. Even if we don't earn an, you know, an extra dollar in the next six months, I, I can still pay for this experiment, you know? And, and you have to be careful when communicating this to a, a potential new hire because you don't want to make a guarantee that you're going to employ them for six months. But I, you know, I always tell them, hey, look, this is how we're looking at this. If it works, we're going to continue to have this position in existence for six months at least. And then hopefully, it, you know, it works even better than we think. And, and onward we go, you know, that kind mm. of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that that's actually one of the things that I like about a bit, about having my own business is one of the things that frustrated me at IDG is we had a we had a CFO who was not um she hated lay, laying people off. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. She hated laying people off, and laying people off isn't fun. Everybody should dislike it, but she hated it so much that she didn't want to hire anybody for fear that you would have to Lay them off later. And so we would have these positions where it's like this person we want to bring in, we think they're going to bring in revenue. So I want to hire them. We'll try this for six months or a year. Um, we're going to, they're either going to, we'll know immediately whether it's going to work or not after that six month period, let's say, because either they will have brought in more money or they won't have. It could not be clearer to measure it. So let's bring them in and if it doesn't work out, then we'll say it didn't work out and we'll go our separate ways. And at at IDG, I would get that kicked back to me as basically like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And so I felt like we missed all of these opportunities because of that just being gun shy about having to take a chance on somebody that you might have to say goodbye to them. And as somebody who has my own business, I have not had to do that yet. But I feel like I could do that 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 seems very reasonable to me of, yeah. I can take a chance with somebody and say look I don't know if this is going to work or not but let's try it for six months and see and let's at the see. end of six months we'll know Yeah. and either we'll keep doing it or we'll stop and, and I can make that decision now which before I can make all the logic in the world, all the arguments in the world go my way and at the end of the day somebody was saying mm, it makes me feel funny, let's not do it Yeah well, we had somebody on the show, uh, we had a guest on the show who
0: called that, you know, fear based decisions. And he said, that's the worst thing I've ever yep. done in my business is making fear based decisions. And he's it, it, it's totally right. Yeah. yeah. And it's frustrating. It's 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 one thing, and it is frustrating when you find yourself making your own fear-based decisions, and that's Mm -hmm. something to avoid. It's even worse when you see somebody else doing it and you can't control it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I struggle with that, too. I mean, that's a logical thing to say, like, wait a second. Why am I making this decision? This is a bad decision. I was talking to Jim Dalrymple about this, who does another kind of independent website. You know, you you know, Jim. Um, And he he had an example. um, I forget what it was exactly, but it was a decision he made, and he said that was a fear. It was about fear. I made that decision because of fear and it was the worst decision I made running my business. And I and then I had to make an even more difficult decision, which is I had to reverse myself because that was such a wrong decision. And I I mean, I've never uh, done that in my year and a half of doing this. I haven't done anything at that scope yet, but I've certainly had those moments of like, oh, I should do this thing. And I think, why would you do that other than out of fear? And that's not a good
1: enough reason just because you're scared. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Shannon, do you have a question for us here today? I do. So Jason, uh, you know, podcasts are growing like crazy. Uh, You know, someone who's looking on the outside that, you know, with envy, like, oh, look at this guy's got all this experience and he's starting, you know, doing well and running a profitable business. What, what, let's talk about marketing for a little bit. And what tips could you give someone that's getting started or just running, you know, self-publishing business like you are and uh, wants to, you know, see some success?
2: Oh, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's one, I don't know if there's one answer here. I always am hesitant to give advice as somebody who's just, I feel like I'm just figuring this out.
1: Well, well what do you do? Let, let's talk about that. That's probably fine. I mean, uh, whether it works for them or not, you know, just kind of talk to the things that you try that have worked.
2: Oh, I mean, in general, I think what I would say is I uh, the trying things actually just trying things is the most important thing. And that goes back to fear as well of, I find a lot of the stuff that I try to do uh, out of fear is not actually trying things. It's like giving up and not trying things like, well, I could do that, but that's too scary. Uh, Let's go back to something that I'm, uh, that I'm used to. Let's go back to something safe. And so um, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer. And, and this is, this I think says something about what I have chosen to do and what kind of paths in my career I've chosen not to take is I'm not, I'm not a big believer in the grand scheme where it's like, I I have a plan and this plan, if it should succeed will make me a multimillionaire. Blah, ha, ha, right. I, I just, I'm not one of those people and, and those people probably exist and are successful and that's great. But for me, it's like the grand schemes. I don't like the grand schemes. I don't think they work. I think it's, I think it's much better to have, um, to try things out and find things that work and iterate on them find stuff you believe in I, I, some of the products that i've liked the least in general and i'm not talking about I'm, that could be hardware software uh podcasts tv shows whatever i think some of the products i like the least in general are products that feel like it's a cash grab like i don't actually want to be making this but i'm going to make it because i think it might make me money and i my feeling is some of those make money and a lot of those fail and I, and and i'm not comfortable because i don't think that that i would be particularly successful making something that i don't believe in so instead i try to make stuff and see where it leads me. So a lot of that is like, well, this is a weird idea. And I don't really know whether it's going to work or not, but I should probably try it. And if it doesn't work, you say, well, that didn't work. And if it does work, then you can evaluate whether you should do more like that or whether you could grow that into something, into something different. Um, and I'm always thinking about that. One of the advantages of being in this digital publishing world and podcast is a great example where it's a new uh, form if a, if not a new medium, I had a whole argument with somebody about whether podcasting is a medium because it's just audio, right. uh, but it's it's a form regardless, um, and a and a and transmission method. Um, this is this is the early days for it, and I think it would be a mistake if. Uh, everybody just tried to find the most successful three podcasts that are out there and just replicate them and make a whole bunch of duplicates of those podcasts because the other great podcasts of the future are in formats not yet devised and you are not going to devise them if you're trying to knock off somebody else, you know, trying to knock off Serial or knock off Night Vale. So try to do something different. And it may not be as successful as Serial or Night Vale because very few will, but that's how you're going to find something that you are good at that you're like, Oh, I could really do this. And this is really interesting. And maybe there's an audience for this. And uh, that's, that's the great thing about being like it was in the web, you know, 15 years ago, it's a great feeling of being at the beginning of something that the rules aren't there. And so um, you got to explore and try stuff out because um, you know, nobody's going to tell you to stop.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it it comes down to authenticity, right? You're, and that's, that's what you're saying here is you've got to, just do what is the right thing for you to do, not copy what that person did because they made a ton of money.
2: You got to believe in it. Right. And I I hear from people who say, Oh, you do podcasting. Um, so how do I make money at podcasting? I'm like, wow, that is the that like I, I've done sessions cause I've done a few sort of like intro to podcasting, how, how at conferences and things like that. Yeah. And I can't believe how many people are like, well, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. How do I make money at it? And it's like, that is the most backward way. Of thinking of it. Yeah. It's, it's not that, even it's, the wrong it's, answer. It's the wrong question. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, it, I mean, it's literally like any business or any industry. If you say, I would like to be a millionaire. How do I do that in your industry? And say, like, well, that's not how you do it is is thinking of the end result. You need to think of the start and go through it and then come up with something that can lead you to the end result. And it's great that that a decent part of my income is podcasts, but I didn't, uh, you know, go in saying, hey, podcasting is a place where I can make money, let's invent a thing that will allow me to make money. It was it was that's Yeah, it's backward, you need to you need to have something that you believe in the audience, especially if you're creating media, the audience needs authenticity, they need to believe that you care about the subject matter, uh, and that you know about the subject matter. And then that leads to building a better audience, which lets you build a business. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you 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 need to have all of that in place,
0: and and then you can roll forward. So it, it, I think, it, and I think that answers part of Shannon's question. But if I may, I, I want to kind of spin back to that. I, I I think what Shannon is asking is, okay, I'm a you know a new publisher, either a podcaster or you know I'm publishing something on the web, yeah. and I'm publishing that w- uh, about which I am passionate. So you okay. know, check that box. Check. Right. How do I make, how, you know, how, what has worked for you to, uh, to market that, right? How do you huh. f- get people to know right. about it? And I realize I'm asking this question. It's like asking this question of me. It's like, well, I did this for, you know, 15 years and I, thankfully I built up some, some rapport and an audience and now I can, you know, with, without being too callous about it, I can market to my existing audience. Are you doing, and there's nothing wrong with doing just that, but are you doing anything more than that or is, or is in in fact that what you're doing?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say is the number one secret to the audience that I have built up is that I did this for, you know, 18 years and I had my face on page five of a magazine that went to three or 400,000 people for, you know, every issue for about seven years. Uh, and that helped. Uh, and a follow me on Twitter. Here's how to reach me at the end of those yep. uh, those columns. That helped a lot, right? Of course, a- yeah. A- and as and, well, it should have. I mean, it you, it it you should be capitalizing on that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I and I can't. I you know I so that that's terrible advice. Is is right. uh, have a big following and then step three profit. Um, but uh, you know I I think. I'd say, I'd say beyond the authenticity thing, because we covered that, uh, I think you need to be reliable. I think people need to depend on you. Podcasting is a great example of that. That's a subscription relationship like a magazine or a newspaper is. Um, or if you think about your favorite TV show there, you know, your favorite TV show does not come out uh, with an episode and then five weeks later, another episode, and then four months later, two episodes, right? It comes yeah. out and they do 13 Either dropped it once on Netflix or they do one a week for 13 weeks and then they go away again for a year and then they come back with another season. If you've got a, a newspaper, remember those? Um, probably the newspaper doesn't just not show up on Thursday and they're like, yeah, we weren't feeling it today. Yeah. We'll be back tomorrow. There is a, a, yeah. an implied... Relationship there of, uh, and, and dependence and, you know, reliability is very important. So with podcasting, I'd say find something you're passionate about at a level that you are willing to continue because like my podcast d- despite my social media reach and my picture in the magazine and all of that the incomparable you know it was a slow build to get it to the size it is now it did not it you did not flip a switch and and get 20 or 25,000 listeners it just doesn't happen that way it we we started doing episodes And kept doing them every week. And we've been doing that for uh, five and a half years now. Like every week there's a new episode. And consistency matters. So whether it's every other week or every month or whatever, knowing what your format is, even if you have to figure it out, but finding a focus, um, that's important and uh and writing i'd say on the web it's the same way you know be consistent editors prize consistency find audiences that are not your audience by writing if you're a writer writing at places that you're you know you're not known um appear in places today's digital media is so much about audiences that i would say finding audiences that don't know about you and exposing your stuff to them is a huge part of this um I go on Leo Laporte's Twitch shows a lot. Yep. And one of the reasons I do that is because I found that the people who watch those shows have no idea who I am. I mean, there's some people sure. who know who I am, who see me on there and they're like, yeah, it's Jason. But I get, I really get the sense like when I'm on MacBreak weekly or twit, like, People are like, hey, Jason's back. Like, literally, they haven't seen me since the last time I was they, on. Yeah, they think you've done nothing in the in the gap there. That's right. And I find that to be... An amazing opportunity because every time I'm on, there's more of a chance that they're going to go to Six Colors, that they're going to subscribe to The Incomparable, that they're going to listen to my podcast on Relay. I'm getting in front of a different audience. I write columns for uh, Macworld uh, Weekly and they pay me, and that's great. But it also allows me to place a little note on Macworld's website every week that says, Hey, remember Jason from all those things he did at Macworld? He's still around and you can get more of him at Six Colors. And that's yep. one of the benefits of being there. When I write for iMore, it's the same thing. It's like the I More audience is a little bit different, and it gets me in front of them. And it and it and it is again, they pay me, but they it is also an advertisement for me to their audience, and that's part of the part of the value there. So you know, no, they, I, I, that's it. I mean, you it. just got to yeah. kind of grind and, and build an audience and be in front of people and be consistent and reliable because uh, people who are in the content business really value consistency and reliability, and audiences value it too.
0: Well, I, I and that when podcasters come to me and ask, you know, what should I do? How should I do? It's like, do whatever you want, but know that even though they, as a podcaster or a writer, you can create content when you are moved to to do so your audience lives on a schedule. And if, and if you are not there for them, when they want to play your podcast on Tuesday morning at the gym, they might give you one week's worth of a pass but if next Tuesday, your show is not there, they're still at the gym and now they're playing somebody else's show and you're done.
2: Yeah. That's, that's right. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. I know I have where I've had like incomparable. I usually post it on Saturday, but yeah. what I've, what I've said when people ask is, look, we post it on the weekend and every now and then I've got family stuff on a Saturday and I post it on a Sunday. And it, when that happens, I will hear from multiple people on Twitter and sometimes an email saying, where's the show? What happened? We, Yeah, we had a we had an episode of clockwise that we delayed a day because of I think it was because of like news, like an Apple event or something. And I heard from people who are like, it's Wednesday afternoon. Where's clockwise? And on one level, that's incredibly flattering. But it also shows you we are expected to fill that slot in their lives. Like I heard from several people who are like, I drive home on Wednesday night listening to clockwise. Where is it? Where's the show? Yeah. And so being consistent, you you are integrating yourself into the lives of your audience. And that's incredibly powerful. But that is the price is you have to be consistent. You have to be there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I would also say, you know, and, and it, as we've acknowledged, you came into six colors with an audience. But even if you don't have an audience, you know, make it start building it today and Make it easy for people to become part of whatever you want to call your audience. Make it easy for them to figure out where your website is, how to subscribe to your podcast, how to follow you on Twitter. Don't hide this stuff because they're only if they put in a little bit of effort, that's more than you can expect. And it's, you know, it's the it's the extent of that which they're going to do. They're not going to keep hunting. They're going to look once. Hopefully they find
2: you and you're done, you know, and now they're a fan for hopefully for life. Right. right, and start and 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 find a way for them to connect to you. If you if you do a website, the, you know they a lot of people don't understand about RSS. So what's the subscription relationship there? Well, maybe you set up a mailing list, and you know you can start a, a mailing list on Mailchimp. Up below a certain amount, it's free, yep. and and that that certain amount is thousands of people. At which point you you it's worth it to pay, right? You yeah, got, you, yeah.
0: When he, when it's time to pay, you will be happy to do it. That's right. Yeah, and yeah.
2: And, and you you're saying, well, what am I going to email them? I don't know. Send them an email every month or two just saying, thanks for being here. And here's a, here's a t-shirt that I, I put up for sale or something like that. It doesn't have to be anything super meaningful, but you know, you are, you are building connections so that when it comes time to say, here's what I'm doing, uh, or here's a product, here's a book I wrote or whatever it is, they are, um, you know, they're listening to that. And, and, uh, so there's lots of ways to build that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're we're
0: coming up on what should be the close of of this episode. But there's there's a couple of questions that we like to ask. And one of them, I think, well, you've already given us one answer, but I'll ask it again in case there's anything else. Uh, But feel free to say that there's not. You know, we we like to tell stories and and uh, and we like to learn here. So. Are there any other than picking schedule a C Corp instead of a an, an S Corp? <laughs> are there any other mistakes that that you have made that that uh, that if you could go back and tell Jason of whatever, three years ago, hey, you're about to do this thing. Make sure you do X. Are there any are there any of those that come up?
2: One's that I would keep, I would stay the same or that I would change. You know, either piece of advice is actually valuable. Um. Well, the the things that I would I would say, uh, I mean, I don't know if they're mistakes, but making making things not knowing where they're going is always a good one. So, like the incomparable was a kind of an accident. Oh, this will be a good idea. Let's uh, let's make a podcast, and uh, you know we're coming up on three hundred episodes now. Um, I know you've got some long running podcasts too, Dave. So. Yeah. Um, I, and they it, all started
0: it, as mistakes and are far different now than they were the day they started. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, that, that is again, it's not a huge portion of my income, but it's actually part of my income now. It's it's not just a hobby anymore. It's a little bit of a job and I love it, but it's also, I mean, that's great. And I never intended that. Um, and I've met so many great people and it led to creating the incomparable podcast network, which is again, not a, not a big revenue generator in the grand scheme of things, but it is a fun project that I think has some upside in the future. Um, and, and so that whole that whole thing was kind of accidental and i'm glad i would never have set out to create a podcast network populated with all these different podcasts a dozen podcasts from all these different people some of whom i had not even met when i started the original incomparable podcast i really only created the network because we had a spinoff that we wanted to do and we didn't have any place to put it so we made a site for it of course so i would say keep doing all that crazy stuff um and starting podcasts at idg that we didn't know whether there was any place to to for, for those to lead clockwise is actually still part of that mistake um, the the um, mistakes I, I it's funny the mistake i would actually say i wish i could go back and do over is i spent a year thinking about quitting my job and in the december of 2013 i I told them I was going to leave at the end of the year and because there was a big layoff coming up, as I mentioned earlier, and I didn't want to, I just didn't want to go through it. I was unhappy with the job. I didn't want to go through laying off all those people and they had brought in some new, um, business leadership and the new business leadership talked me into giving it a go and staying and saying, we're going to turn it around. And I know now that those people, like the the guy, the guy they put in charge of the business, he also left when I left It didn't work out. The part of that was that the founder of the company died about three months later and they and they started prepping it for sale. Um, But so if I could go back to then, I would say, look, you're going to be independent nine months from now anyway, because there's going to be another wave of layoffs and cuts. Just go now. Yeah. Well, that's the hardest thing. Is, is, you know, the actually <laughs> should, leaving your day job. Yeah, <laughs> I should should have traveled back. Actually, I should have traveled back six or nine months before that and said, you are still talking about quitting. You're not going to even do it and work up the nerve to try until December. Don't wait. Just do it now. Yeah. It, it, make this happen sooner rather than later, because that really that is the one thing that in hindsight, I, I didn't need that extra year plus of burnout uh, and unhappiness in my job and stress about something I couldn't control. And I would have been better off starting to build my business and move on with my life. Now I, I would have, you know, if I just quit or asked to be laid off in the earlier layoff or something like that, I would not necessarily have had, you know, I was fortunate to have gotten some money from my employer to start my new business. That was really nice. sure. But still, I think I would have traded even that for not having to spend that last year longing to be independent and not being
0: yeah, it, it, there is I, I I totally understand what you're saying. There is something to be said, though, for experiencing some amount of pain that then mm-hmm. kind of gives you that that ramp. From which yeah. to, to blast off into your own thing. Well, and
2: that's why I said the, the December one would probably be would my have preference. Because the right then one. I would have yeah. gone through my year of pain, decided to pull the trigger, and then got kind of talked by the new management into staying. And yeah. that would have been the moment of like, no, you've been through this process. Everybody in your family's been through this process. We all know that you need to leave. Just go ahead and do it. Don't listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Um, I, at that point, I'd already set up the corporation. I'd already set up my home office space, which I didn't have before I started. So I had a workspace. I had a corporation. I had started selling ads on my podcast so I had some income coming in it was it was enough you, it was time yeah it was time and then instead I sort of ended up with nine more months and another set of layoffs and uh, it wasn't worth it that's not good
0: yeah uh, anything else before we uh, before we bid one another adieu here I don't know. We I feel like we covered a lot of ground. It was a did. lot of fun. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, it was fantastic having you. So many great lessons that are applicable to any kind of business, and we'll extol on those in the uh, show notes this week for sure.
0: Cool. Jason, before awesome. we leave, tell people where they can find you so that they can find you.
2: Oh, yes. Well, SixColors.com is where I do my tech writing. Uh, The Incomparable Podcast Network is at TheIncomparable.com. I also do three podcasts on the Relay FM Tech Podcast Network at Relay.fm. And follow me on Twitter at JSnell. Thanks so much, folks. We will see you next week.